Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. When Pastor Josh said, he said it a long time ago, he was going to do a series where everybody on staff got to speak. And uh, you heard from Nathan last week. He did an amazing job, right? He did really good. It was really good. Um, so he asked us all to speak, and, and he didn't give us any kind of topic. He just said, hey, speak whatever's on your heart, which is super nervous, super nerve-wracking, because you want your pastor to be like, yeah, man, I got the verse right here for you. I got the, I got the points right here for you, you know. But uh, I guess it's more freeing to just say whatever you want. So when he said that, I started to pray, because that's what you do when your pastor asks you to, to bring a word to church. And uh, right as, as soon as I started praying, I knew that I was going to read the verse that we're going to read today. And that was great, and I had no idea what I was going to say with it. I thought, well, I'll just go up there, read it, be done. But thankfully, the Lord is good, and uh, he gave me a little something to say. And uh, as I was just praying, you know, about what to say, he just kind of started showing me places that I've kind of missed in the past and places that, you know, I think probably a lot of people miss about having this relationship with him because, you know, Jesus, when he died on the cross when he rose again he meant it to be to start a relationship he didn't mean it just to say hey man you don't have to go to hell anymore which is good that's part of it obviously we're very grateful for that right um but that's not it he didn't mean that to be the highest we ever go he meant it to be this relationship with him to be intertwined into every second of every day but i i think that it I, i don't know if it's yeah it is it's, it hurts us to just think, okay, God, you sent your son down a cross just so I could be f- free from hell. It hurts us. You know, Jesus meant for it to be every second of every day, for this relationship to be life-giving to us, for us to, you know, be matured by every second we spend with him. And uh, he also died so that we wouldn't have to go off to some far-off building in some far-off providence one day out of the whole year to go hear from him, you know. If, if you want to hear God, you can pray right now or in your car or in your bathroom. Uh, there's, it was a long time ago. Our church made these bracelets that were called, uh, or they weren't called, on the bracelet said, I pray naked. And it's because they were preaching that you could pray anywhere at any time. The shower was what they were saying. So, uh, you know, pray naked. You can pray anywhere you want to, and God will answer you right there because he sent his son that he might live on the inside of you. And he might guide you every step of the way. And, and one of the ways that we're going to talk about today that he guides us is by conviction. Where I say, ouch. Don't sound good, right? I mean, you think conviction, you think, what do you think? Crime? You think of somebody getting convicted of a crime? You think of, like, guilt, like the hammer, the gavel, you know? Um, that's not what we're going to talk about, by the way, just so you know. Um, because... What did Jesus say about what he says? He said that he, that, sorry, that all who carry heavy weights and burdens could come to him and find rest because he makes their yoke. And we got it. When I go like this, that means you got to finish. Oh, okay. Okay. Let's try again. He said that he makes their yoke and their burdens. So we have to remember, if it sounds hard and heavy, that's not what the Spirit means because he wouldn't go against what Jesus said. So we're going to read a way, a verse that kind of explains how this conviction uh, 
makes our burdens lighter. By the way, if I were given this, this talk a title, I would have titled it Convicting Grace, or maybe a better title would have been a Conviction That Brings Grace, because it's when he convicts us, he gives us the grace to live out the conviction he just gave us. So if you want to go to your Bible, or if you just want to look at the screen because you forgot your Bible, uh, we're going to John 16, verse 7. If you got it, say, uh, I got it. Did we got it? Oh, we got it. Look at that. We're going to start in verse 7. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to you. This is Jesus, by the way, not me. Uh, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And verse 8, this is really verse 8 through 11 is what we're going to put our main focus on. And it says, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment. Sounds hard, right? That sounds, it don't sound good. It sounds scary. But if you let the Bible just explain itself, it sounds great. So it says in verse 9, of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And verse 11, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Sounds a little better, right? Um, so, like I said earlier, when you say conviction, it sounds hard and heavy and like sentencing. So, I wanted to see if that was what they meant here when they put the word conviction. Um, so, I looked it up on Google, like any anybody does. And the word here, conviction, uh, the word that they translated it from means to expose or to bring to the light. So, that's the kind of conviction we're talking about today, the kind of conviction that exposes things, not the kind of conviction that sentences people. When the Holy Spirit brings conviction in these three major areas, in the area of sin, in the area of righteousness, and of judgment, um, he wants to expose to us some kind of truth, something we're missing. Because if we were just to go about it on our own, we would miss a lot. So he brings us his spirit and his conviction that we might not miss it, and that he might make our heavy load lighter easier to carry. So, we're going to break down each of these areas and talk about the one of the truths that I see, and this might not be all the truth that's there. I hope it's not, because that would mean we would all finish, and then there's nothing else to figure out. So I hope there's more. But these are the ones that I thought, and these are the ones that I, that I believe that the Lord wanted me to share that would be helpful for all of us um, to know. So the first area, when he's convicting us of sin, it says in verse, what was it, 9? was nine. It says in verse nine, of sin, because they do not believe in me. So when the Holy Spirit's convicting us of sin, he's, he's, I want to say a different word besides convicting. He's teaching us that we're, that we're not, that we don't know who Jesus is in that area. That's what he's teaching us. He's saying, you know what, man, you're, you're, this is not what Jesus looks like. If, when the, in this area, when he's convicting us of sin, he's teaching us about Jesus' divinity, about who Jesus is, so that we can know him better, because that's one of his jobs. You know, there's, there's a pastor who makes, he makes a lot of podcasts, he makes a lot of books, he, I mean, he does a little bit of everything, his name is Bill Johnson, and what he says, this is one of my favorite things that he says, because it's like, I don't know, when I first heard it, I was like, that's ridiculous, and then as he explained it, I was like, well, I mean, that might make sense. So uh, he says, uh, it takes God to love God. And he says, and it sounds ridiculous, right? Like, that makes no sense. But he says it because God reveals something about himself 
that we would never know by ourselves. And then once he reveals it to you, you're like, wow, God, I really love that about you. You know, you never know. That's why he says it takes God to love God. And I would say that also takes God to understand what God does. Because to your brain, if you didn't have the spirit, which you all do, hopefully, um, if you didn't have the spirit, tithing wouldn't make any sense to you. To give money away and then have more left over, math, there's no math. Or, you know, to serve, to give time out of your already busy week at a church would make no sense. Because to our brains, it sounds like you'd be tired, but really you have more energy. You feel better. Or, you know, a, a, a man, not a man, he was a baby. A baby being born from a virgin, I mean, that's health class 101 right there. It don't make no sense. <laughs> so it takes the spirit of God to understand these things. Um, in John 14, verse 26, if you want to go there, if not, we got it. Happy day. Or you can go on the app. Uh, John 14, 26, it says, But the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So you don't have your brain alone, you know. You can make sense of tithing because the Spirit says, hey, man, when you tithe, you end up having more than when you, when you gave, which is ridiculous. Um, so when he's convicting us, when he's convict, bringing the conviction of sin, he's teaching us these things that Jesus said and things about God so that we can we can kind of live these things out more. So that's what he is doing. Now we're going to go into what he's not doing. What he's not doing is bringing condemnation on us. He, he's not, he wouldn't do that. It makes no sense. Condemnation would be a weight added on, not a weight taken off. And it says that he makes all their burdens and all their yokes so they can find rest. So it would make no sense to add on more weight and add on condemnation. So, in that verse, they called him the helper. In other verses, they call him the counselor. They call him the teacher. They don't call him the guilt tripper. They don't call him the accuser. They don't call him, you know, the condemner. Um, speaking of condemnation, there's a verse that we're going to read together, and it's Romans 8. It's really familiar. Well, to me, I don't know if it's familiar to you, but it will be in a minute. So Romans 8, verse 1, it says... Oh, good. Uh, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's good, man. So, um, because I know what condemnation means when I say it, I wanted to look it up just to make sure I was right. And it says, if you look it up on Google, it says that it means an expression of very strong disapproval. So if we read it again with that definition in mind, it says... In verse 1, that there is therefore now no very strong expression of disapproval to those who are on Christ Jesus. None. It didn't, it didn't have a stutter. It doesn't say there might, there might not be. It says there is there, therefore now no condemnation. No very strong disapproval. So if you feel like 
when you mess up, if you feel like God is condemning you or adding a weight on you or saying something condemning to you, that's not him. It says right there, there's no condemnation. So it's not him. That's not him condemning you. That is you condemning you. That's you being the judge when it's not your job to be the judge. Um, but don't get it wrong, because that sounds, that sounds almost, I don't want to say too freeing, because I don't know if that's a thing, but uh, it sounds just kind of loosey-goosey, you know, like, there's no condemnation. I can go do whatever I want. It's not it. That, if you've got to hear anything, that's not it. Uh, it says, you know, we see that no for, there is no for, we see there is therefore now no condemnation. Those are in Christ Jesus. And then a few verses later, it says the same word, that he condemned sin in the flesh. So while he might not condemn you, he does not approve of your sin. In fact, it says he, he feels an expression of very strong disapproval toward your sin in the flesh. If you want to say it like that. Um, you know, it's set, there's plenty of places in the Bible you can go for this, but the gist of it is that God is a God of grace. Am I right? And grace does not mean to ignore sin. It doesn't mean to be like, oh, man, we'll just skip over that. No big deal, man. Grace means to teach you how to live above sin, to empower you to be better than the sin. Um, and to kind of... Oh, i got to say this, too. The goal is not to make you lower and lower, feeling worse and worse, but to make you higher and higher, going from glory to glory. And to kind of give us a little visual illustration to get what's going on here, I want Emily to come up. Everybody get a round of applause for the, the biggest Auburn fan you'll ever meet in your entire life. And uh, so we're, we're also going to read a verse, but first I've got to get Emily set up. Okay, so you can put this over your face. Just kind of drape it over your head. And then, that's perfect. Make sure it don't fall. How many fingers I got up? Okay, great. And hold that right there. It's kind of heavy, so you got it? Got it. All right. So, Emlyn, stay right there. Don't move. We're going to read this verse together. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So, here's Emlyn. Does not have the Spirit of the Lord, hence the veil or the towel, circa my bathroom. And uh, so, Emlyn, if I were to ask you to look in... You're holding a mirror, by the way. I don't know if you knew. If I were to ask you what's in that mirror, you would say... I can't tell. Because you can't. Because just like us, when we don't have the Spirit, you can't see anything. He has no idea what's in that mirror that he's supposed to be looking like, but he can't tell. But it would be the Spirit's job. It says, um, with unveiled face, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So it is the Spirit's job when he's convicting us of sin to take this thing off and then say, what do you see in that mirror there? I see a handsome man. <laughs> exactly. And that's what the Spirit would do for us. Everybody give a round of applause for Emlyn. Great job, Emlyn. Handsome man, I'll tell you what. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so as the Spirit teaches us about Jesus, 
it says in that verse that he teaches us how to look like that image, or, or what does it say? Be transformed into that same image from glory to glory. And that's the gist of what he does when he's convicting of sin. He's, he's you know, showing you what Jesus looks or Jesus is up here, what Jesus looks like, and then teaching you that you can look just like that. So that's of sin. We've got the first one down. And the second area, like it says in that verse, in verse 10, it says of righteousness. Oh, hang on. It says of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. So when the Holy Spirit's convicting of righteousness, he's teaching us about our identity. If the first area was about Jesus' divinity, about who he is, the second place is um, about our identity, who we are because of who he is, or what he's made us to be, or however else you want to say it, who you are in Christ. Um, you know, we need to know who we are. He reminds us of our identity because Christ goes to the Father. We are made like him, sons and daughters of God. Um, so why is it important that the Holy Spirit would teach us who we are? I mean, I feel like I know who I am. I feel like I mess up all the time. I know that I'm a mess up. I feel like I screw up a lot. I know that I'm a screw up. But that's not what he's trying to teach us here. It doesn't say he's, he's convicting us of unrighteousness or else he would do all those things. And it would add a lot of weight on our back. But he's convicting us of righteousness because he goes to the Father and we see him no more. So his job... Oh, wait. I skipped one thing. This is something that I just just thought was really awesome that he would do for us. Because he's the helper. He doesn't, he doesn't help us to see how unrighteous we are. We don't need his help. If, if I were to tell you, you know, how righteous are you, you would say, not at all. Right? I mean, you might be a little... But if the standard of righteousness was up here, I mean, we might be, you know, like way down here. And, uh, but we know that. We have clarity on how unrighteous we are. But the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness that we might know how righteous Christ has made us. Um, so that we do not live condemned, but that we live free. And when the Holy Spirit convicts of, of righteousness, he, for me at least, he doesn't, he doesn't often just come out and say, hey, bro, you're not unrighteous anymore you know he might for you but for me he just kind of speaks scriptures you know because i do this thing where i try to i try to memorize a verse a week just kind of get the the verse in there and then i forget it probably next week and so the holy spirit reminds me like hey remember that verse you memorized you were memorized um he might remind you for me this is this these are things he's reminded me before he might remind you of a verse such as romans 8 uh Verse 14. Is up there? Perfect. Uh, he might, you know, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again, bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So you might say, you know, I'm a child of such and such. He's a who's a drug addict and so and so who drank like a or who drank like a fish but i don't know what that i don't know if you're reading the same bible that i'm reading but it says that we that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god so he might speak to you when he's convicting you of righteousness that you're a child of god you know something you might need to be reminded of he might speak to you a verse such as romans uh same chapter chapter 8 we love romans 8 
verse 31. Hang on, I need a drink. This is, this is a long reading, so I need to... <coughs> Perfect. So where are we? Romans 31. That's, there we go. Romans 8, 31. Uh, it says, What then shall we say to these things? For if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Verse 33, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So he might speak to you about who you are, saying, Man, you've been begging me for something that, I, that I've been praying for you for longer than you've even been alive. Or he might say, you know, you feel guilty, but it says there, who shall bring charge against God's elect? You know, God, these, these are things, you know, each verse speaks differently to each person. But the Holy Spirit convicts us of who we are in each verse. So if, if you don't feel like a son, he might speak to you verses that make you feel like a son. Or uh, he might speak to you something like Ephesians, Ephesians 2.8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For me, this verse spoke to me because, you know, I don't know about you guys, but for a long time, I thought that you had to be a good person to be saved, you know? And it turns out you don't. turns out you can never be, actually. Um, And God, it says, by grace you have been saved through faith, but that you're created for works, too. He's got good works for you. So these are kind of like identity verses, and everybody's got different identity verses in the Holy Spirit. When he convicts us of righteousness, he, he speaks those to them. I mean, those are just some of mine. And the Bible is full of things that tell you who you are. So, like I said before, why is it important? I mean, why do you got to know who you are? Can't you just know who Jesus is and that be enough? I mean, maybe, maybe. If you knew all of who Jesus is, that might be enough. But how many in here know all of who Jesus is? Oh, good. Not just me. Um, so he convicts us of who, he convicts you of who you are, because when you know who you are, you know what kind of authority you have. Um, how many of y'all have ever seen the movie, it's called Kingdom of Heaven? It's not really about the Kingdom of Heaven. You seen it? Just one? Wow. Uh, anyway, well, I thought it would be more popular than that. <laughs> uh, it's a movie called Kingdom of Heaven, and there's, it's a really good movie. I mean, it's a kind of a guy movie, really. But uh, anyway, there's this author, his name's John Eldridge, and in this book called Father by God, it's kind of about the manhood journey and how to become a man and, and all these stages of manhood, which has a little bit to do with what we're talking about, but not a lot. He shares this story that has a lot to do with what we're talking about, and it's from the kingdom of heaven. It's about the main character, um, and I'm going to read it to you. And as I read it, the main character's name is Balian, or Balian, I don't know how to pronounce it yet. Um, but every time I say it, I want you to replace your name, because his story looks a lot like ours, and uh, it really speaks to when the Holy Spirit's teaching us about who we are. <clears throat> All right, let's read. 
The time is the Middle Ages, 1184 A.D., the year of our Lord, the time between the Second and Third Crusades. A young man, a blacksmith called Balian, has lost his wife and his son. And with them, because of their tragic deaths, he has also lost his faith. He is certainly losing heart. As he hammers away in his little smithy, a mysterious figure rides up on horseback, apparently a lord of some sort, armed and asking for shoes for his horses. The captain of a company, he studies the silent, angry young man, watches him at work. He then announces to Balian that he is his true father, Godfrey, baron of Ebelin, a great warrior returning to Jerusalem with a company of men. He invites Balian to come with them. At first, the young man refuses. Why? Perhaps he has lost the capacity to hope. Perhaps the years of fatherlessness have caused him to mistrust his alleged father. You might answer for him, for his story is also ours in many ways. A fatherless man or woman labors alone under the sorrows of his life. His true father comes to him, a vague and somewhat imposing figure, and calls him on a journey. The man hesitates, as we hesitate, unsure of the father and his intentions. How would you have responded given the circumstances? Think about it. It might help you understand how you will respond to the offer God is extending to you. So after Godfrey rides away, Balian changes his mind, catches up with the men in the forest, hoping to find in Jerusalem, for he has heard it to be so, the forgiveness of sins. A step in the right direction, for sure. Balian follows his father, if only to find forgiveness, as so many good men in the church believe in God, if only for forgiveness. But the father intends much more. Godfrey embraces Balian as his beloved son, heir to his domain. He gives him men in exchange for his life. They take to the road together. For Balian, it is the time of the cowboy. His father trains him to be a warrior and initiates him into the knighthood. He fathers Balian into the great mission of his life, to serve the true king of Jerusalem. So you see, when, when he's convicting us of righteousness, he's already shown us who Jesus is. We know that God gave a lot that we might have him on the inside of us. And when he's convicting us of righteousness, he's saying, this is how you live with God on the inside of you. Like Bailey, and he'd only know how to, he only knew how to live as a blacksmith. He didn't know how to live as a knight. A blacksmith and a knight are two totally, I don't know if you know, but they're two totally different things. Blacksmiths make the weapons, and knights use them on people. Um, so it's just like us. We've only, you know, if you, before you knew Jesus and before he had his spirit on the inside of you, you only knew how to live one way. You only knew how to live working hard and making the most of it and, you know, just kind of picking yourself up. But Jesus has, when he's convicting us of righteousness, he takes all that you've learned through the whole time of, of being whatever you were, you know, being just lost of, you know, living without him. He takes all that, he throws it away, basically. Tosses it in the garbage. And he has to reteach you almost how to walk because, you know, the things that you've learned before don't make any sense when you've got him on the inside of you now. Or, you know, not the skills, but the way you lived, the heart in which you lived. And he teaches you things that you can only learn and you can only walk out with his spirit on the inside of you because, you know, when you know that he's the king of kings and that he's the Lord of lords. You're not concerned with things that are here today and gone tomorrow like you were before. You know, you're not concerned with, oh, God. Well, you wouldn't ask God if you didn't know him. But uh, you wouldn't be concerned with, 
oh man, what am I going to do tomorrow? You'd be concerned with what has God put me in today? What has he, what has he caused me to, to change today, you know? Just like that story, you know, a prince, when he, if he goes out on the town, which is rare, but if he goes out on the town and he sees people being treated unjustly, um, he wouldn't just walk by and say, man, somebody should do something about that. That's kind of messed up. He'd be like, I need to do something about that. And that's, that's what God has called us to be. We're, it says that we are made like him, sons and daughters of God. It also says elsewhere that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, that we might act like Jesus, which is ridiculous. But with his spirit, we can do all things, actually. So, like I said, the first area of sin, he's convicting us of his divinity, who he is. And the second area of righteousness, he's convicting us of our identity or who we are. And then there's this third area, which throws them all for a loop. It says of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, when you hear that he's convicting you of judgment, that don't sound good. But when he, when he does it, it's so good. Um, when the Holy Spirit is convicting us of judgment, he's convicting us of our destiny or, or what God has for us or what the future holds. Um, and he has to because, like I said, you only knew how to live one way. And, you know, when you've only lived one way for so long, you see your future as one way, you know. If, if you've only lived as a, like Bailey, and if you've only lived as a blacksmith, you see 20 years from now you'll be hammering that same thing, you know, making those same swords, putting shoes on people's horses. Um, but that's not, when, when God speaks to us about our, about judgment, sorry, you know, he has to change all that. He has to change the way even we see our future, not even just ourselves, not even just him, but our future. It says in John, first John, sorry, chapter three, verse eight, um, it says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Nice. And it also says in John three sixteen, which we can probably all read together and quote. You ready? We can all do it together. Three, two, one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because the way you lived before, you just had life. You didn't have everlasting life. So, you know, he destroys every work of the devil. When he's speaking about your future, he destroys every work that was in your past. You know, he, he destroys every work, and he causes us to live in that everlasting life. Not only just at the end of our life, by the way. And when the Holy Spirit's convicting us of judgment, like we said before, he's reminding us, hey, man, you know, I'm not judging this. I'm not judging you like you think I am. He does judge. Don't get it wrong. He does. But he doesn't do it like you think he does. You think that he does. Every time you sin, he's like, you dirty. You messed up. And that would be, that'd be, uh, what's the word, heavy or a weight. And that is not what he's into. He's into making things lighter. He's into, you know, he says, come all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give them rest. And throwing weights on people is not rest. Did I say west or rest? Okay. Because the Holy Spirit's not in, or sorry, the Holy Spirit's not in it either. But God is not into condemnation. He's into reconciliation. He's not into accusing. 
He's into redeeming. And uh, a verse that really, really speaks to this is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. If you want to turn there, I should put this up here. Gotta love baby water bottles. Um, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now all things are all, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through the through Christ Jesus, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing upon them their trespasses, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that, that just, I mean, just reading that, you know, just shows you that God's not into condemnation. He's into reconciliation um, and redemption. And it, and it reminds me of when uh, I was younger. I don't know if, if I've ever told this here. I think I probably have. Um, but when I was a kid, um, I was super violent and super angry all the time, which is weird because I'm not like that now. Um, but I mean, I got kicked out of every daycare, you know, I mean, like from the time I was born, I was super angry. So I'm fighting babies, I'm fighting kids, I'm fighting toddlers. But, uh, so I got kicked out of every daycare. I got kicked out of every school, you know, I got, I mean, I got in fights with Prince, I mean, everybody, anybody and everybody looked at me funny, or maybe I just didn't like them. They were mine, and I was going to just, I mean, I was little, so I mean, I wasn't doing a lot of damage, but I was going to fight them. So, uh, man, I was super angry, and I remember there was this one kid, I don't remember his name or what he looked like, really. I just remember that when I was a little kid, he felt like this big. He's probably like this tall, but, you know, he felt like, whoa, this guy's huge. And so uh, I made it my mission to fight that kid all the time. I mean, every time I saw that kid, like, I mean, lunch, didn't matter. Throw my lunch at him, you know. I mean, just fighting him. And I probably made this kid's life in grade school like a hell because, I mean, every day he's probably like, gosh, this little kid again. But uh, I was in like third or fourth grade. And then when I was 13, you know, I really encountered Jesus in a real way. And he changed me. Like, man, he, I, I went up here. Not here, because I wasn't here yet. But I went up to in the front of the stage and, like, laid my life down, if, if, if that's a thing you do. And, like, I laid this anger down, and God gave me, like, this love that I never felt before and this peace that I never knew before, and it was amazing. Like it says, that the old would pass away, and behold, all things became new. And, man, all things were new at that point. You know, I did not feel any anger, and I haven't since, which is amazing, and praise God. But... I never saw that kid again, you know? He went on, lived his life. I don't even know what his name is, so I can't even look him up or creep on him. Um, but so he lived his life. If he saw me today, if he recognized me, I look the same, so he probably would. He would come up to me and be like, you, I know you. You used to beat me up every single, well, I didn't really beat him up. I was pretty small. You used to fight me every single day. And I hated you. I still hate you. You know, he would, he would treat me how I used to be, like, like I'm an angry little kid still. But that's not, 
I'm not an angry little kid anymore. And that is just what the enemy would like to do for, to us. He would try to say, you know, I know you. Just last week I saw you lying. Just last week I saw you looking at somebody you shouldn't have been looking at or looking, looking for something you shouldn't be looking for. And he would, try to treat, he would try to do that, not just to make you feel bad. I mean, he does like it when you feel bad. But he would try to do that to get you to live out of that old life. You know, he'd try to, try to almost like bring that old thing back to life and say, you're a liar still. You just lied last week. You know, and try to get you to act like that because he called you that. And uh, when the Holy Spirit's convicting us of judgment, he's, he's saying the exact opposite. He's saying, yeah, man, you were a liar, for sure. You were angry, for sure. But you're not anymore. The old thing has passed away, and behold, this new thing has come. And it's not angry, and it's not a liar, and it's not, uh, it's not like he says you are. Because the enemy says these things that you might think, man, I'm going to hell in a handbasket real quick. Like, I'm, I lied last week. And that's, that's too much on the bad end of my tally, you know. Like, I got to keep it even or keep it over here so I don't go to hell. And, you know, he's, that's what the enemy would have you think, that it's a weight and a scale. When really, when Jesus died for you and you accepted him and you got his spirit on the inside of you, he took that scale and threw it away right. and said that right. you're going to live with him forever. And not just forever, but right now. And, you know. And he says, like I said, the exact opposite of the enemy. The enemy would say that hell is your destiny, and God would say, through the Holy Spirit and his conviction, that hell is not your destiny, that that's the devil's destiny. And that's as far as he's going. So this convicting grace brings us conviction about to clarify who Jesus is, who we are, and what he has for us. You know, like I said, this relationship with Jesus is meant to give us life, to lighten our loads, to to right the wrong caused by years of trying to look through a veil instead of just taking it off. 